One thing that I, I suppose many people would, would think, just looking at me, that I'm a guy that doesn't forget many things at all. But uh, Grace will know in the office that I am prone to forget things, like appointments, for example. Uh, and there are some kind of appointments that I'm more likely to forget than others. Like if I make an appointment with you on a Sunday, especially Sunday morning, immediately after the service, I'm likely to forget that appointment. So I try and do all the different things to uh, combat this. I have a, a Palm Pilot and I write it into my Palm Pilot while I'm talking to you. And sometimes I'll go right from here to there to get it, knowing my proneness to forget appointments made at that time. And I'll sometimes fill that in uh, up there so I don't forget. I'm particularly forgetful of breakfast appointments because I so used to what I normally do in the morning that when I get to a breakfast, sometimes I'll just go into what I normally do on that day and I've been known to miss one or two breakfast appointments. I'm embarrassed about it. But now I'm aware of my weakness and you can confidently make an appointment with me because I, uh, I'm really working on it. But when you're prone to forget something, you really need to do something to try and force yourself to remember it. And I've seen people get palm pilots, little ringers on their mobile phone. Some people put a little uh, thing around their finger or wear a rubber band. Or Mandy, her favourite one is just to write what she has to remember on the back of, the, uh, of her hand, you know. And that's the way that she remembers. And I think Jesus knew that people are just like me. Uh, with, a, with, with a lot of things. And so before the most, uh, one of the most significant events in history, Jesus gathered his disciples together and he told them to remember. And he told them that they should come together regularly and remember. Listen to what he said in Luke 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I, will, I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He gave us a meal to eat together regularly so that we would not forget the most incredible event, Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He gave us the cup and the bread. And every time we eat this together, we remember the Lord's death with thanksgiving. I think it's interesting that tonight when we're at Christmas time and we're giving thanks to God for his birth, that this time would fall right now. And in the midst of giving thanks of his birth, I think Jesus would think, don't just remember my birth, but remember my death 
and my resurrection and the fact that I'm coming again. And so as we gather around this table, I think what we can remember tonight is his death. Remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. He was put to death in the body so that we could have life. He took the place that you deserved on the cross. He died in your place. Remember his death. Not only remember his death, remember his resurrection. Uh, Romans 8, 34 says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness? None of this. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Because of his death, because of his resurrection, he now is alive and we can know him. And the final thing to remember, not just his death, but his resurrection, but remember that one day he's coming again. And so we do this in remembrance of him until he comes. And Christians are not only thankful for his death and his resurrection, but are eagerly awaiting the day when he will return. And our faith in him will not be in vain. We'll receive all the rewards uh, that he's promised to those who follow him. So as we share in this meal, remember, don't forget. And give thanks for Jesus' death and resurrection and for the promise that he's coming. Let's pray. God, we pray tonight as we gather around this table, knowing how often we do forget. God, we want to say tonight that we're sorry for times when we've forgotten about your death and resurrection. And we've lived as though we were righteous, judging others, looking down on others and thinking we're better than others. God, that's a sure sign that we've forgotten what it cost you to save us and to forgive us. We're sorry. And God, we're sorry for times when we forget and we live as though you don't know our sinful actions. Where we do things that we know are against your will. And we're reminded how much we need to remember your cross and your death and all that you've done for us. And tonight we come confessing our sin and thanking you for your cross, for your resurrection, and for coming again. It's only through this that we have life. It's only through this that we have hope. It's only through this that we have forgiveness. And so as we eat and drink now, we give thanks for all that you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we, um, we really ask that now you would come and speak to us 
that you continue to speak to us, Lord. And Father, may our, our hearts and minds be really, really attentive, Lord, and, and, um, and longing to hear from you of uh, what you want us to do, Lord. Father God, may uh, the words that are not from you, Father, may they just fall to the ground unheard of. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I've, I've got a confession to make. Uh, I just thought I'd better start with this. I've been keeping it a secret from you. Uh, I don't tend to name drop that much. I don't tend to mention the names of the amazing people that I have personal friendships, personal relationships with, the people I hang out with, the people I chat with during the week on the phone and that I'm emailing. I've got to come clean tonight. Here are some of my closest personal friends, personal relationships. Kevin Rudd. Got his phone number to the new lodge. Heath Ledger. Like this. Like this, I'm telling you. Chris Martin, some of you guys might not know him, lead singer of Coldplay, great musicians. Been talking to him just this week. Me and him, buddies, hanging out. Lastly, on the big names list, Jennifer Hawkins. (laughs) Miss Universe, the face of Maya. Just having coffee with her. Buddies, chums, me and Miss Universe. Now you might be doubting me at this point. You might be thinking, Phil, you're a big fat liar. (laughs) And I would say to you, "Uh, yes, in that case, I am. (laughs) But the great irony, if I was to say, one of my most personal relationships is none other than God. You would... Uh, think, yeah, yeah, you'd believe me. You would think that's kind of normal. But for the celebrity, you'd say, there's no way Phil knows those people. If you're an unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, the notion of a personal relationship with God, it's off the planet. It's more off the planet than knowing one of these celebrity kinds of people. It's the thinking about having a personal relationship with God. It just confuses. It like it confounds. It's unfathomable. Say that three times quick. Unfathomable. It's just, it's just out there. But it might well be for those of us who believe that now there's no wonder. There's no awe. There's no significance. There's no... It's just kind of ordinary. There's no inspiration. Does this uh, scene over here and what it represents, does it fail to inspire you? We need to recapture the awe. We need to recapture the wonder, the mystery, the significance Let me read um, from Psalm 104 for you. This is 
for us to just to contemplate. You might like to turn to Psalm 104 if you like, if, if it makes it go into your head better. But maybe just contemplate it, the enormity of that which is God. Psalm 104, from verse 1 it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. This is David speaking. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wind of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. In the end of verse 10 it says, He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of a man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. What fantastic poetry about this great and amazing and awesome God, the creator God, God who continues to act today in his creation, giving life, feeding, nourishing, giving breath, removing breath. God is enormous. God is powerful. God is beyond full comprehension. God is huge, people. So when a non-Christian person says, hmm, the idea of having a personal relationship with God is a bit out there for me, you can say, yes, it is. God is huge. Let's not underestimate the significance of God or in taking him as our friend, forget that he is God. He is king. He is Lord Almighty over everything over the physical, over the mental, over the spiritual. He is Lord over everything. Do we revere? Do we think and look to God in silent awe? God is inspirational. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. This is from verse 18. Matthew 1.18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child 
and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Nine months later, let's, re, let's capture the moment and we, let's jump to Luke in chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house, house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Wow. God becoming a person. So the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God taking on human flesh people in the person of Jesus. This is called the incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, where God who is above and outside of everything because he created everything, that God becoming into the creation as the person of Jesus. The carnal or the flesh. So to in flesh, to become incarnate. It's absolutely amazing. It should be mind-blowing stuff if we were to kind of sit back and really, really reflect on it. Are you amazed? Are you awestruck? The one that created it, coming into it. There should be a fair amount of wow going on here. I remember something that really inspired me, something that gave me this kind of wow factor. So I lived in in Papua New Guinea for a while. It was on the coast and uh, there was a coral reef that lined um, it was kind of scattered along the coastline. And I remember that a half an hour walk, you get to a place called Gubernana Point. And it was like this, like where the mountains kind of plummeted into the sea. And you'd walk up there for the half an hour and you'd go snorkelling. And it was like, because it was, it was just this great terrain, so it was like in the water, it was like the coral shelf kind of went out maybe 20 metres or so. Um, so you got all these... Amazing animal life there, but then it went really deep. Like, and, and I remember going there sometimes, and it would be like you'd put your head under the water. It's just a completely new world. And you'd see these little fish, just so beautiful and brightly coloured. And they'd be like swimming around like coral, like kind of Nemo and these bright blue ones. And, and then you'd like swim a bit more, and you'd, you'd look over the, this shelf that kind of just seemed to drop away to nothing. And you'd see like you know, reef sharks kind of swimming, I don't know, how many metres below you. And every now and then you'd catch a glimpse of these, these manta rays and just like these massive animals and kind of like flying under the water. 
And there'd be like five or six of them kind of like banking together and it's just amazing. And, and uh, I just remember like um, I'd duck dive down and I'd sort of try and sit about three or four metres under the water with my snorkel gear on. I'd kind of just sit there levitating the water, just going like, wow, this is like, this is phenomenal. And just loving it and obviously praying I wasn't going to get eaten by a shark or something like that. But just, just awesome. It really was. I wonder if, if there's been something that has inspired you that much, that's been such an amazing experience for you. I wonder if you've had anything like that. And now God, who's so inspirational, and he becomes a person. That's amazing. That's mind-blowing. But the funny thing, I reckon, um, is that you know, I reckon if we, what we need to do anyway is we really need to think about that, I suppose. Like, I don't, one of the big challenges out of tonight's message is I want us to go and just contemplate it, to think about it. Because no 30-minute message will, be, will do squat for you really getting to know it more. Um, yeah. But I think um, one thing for Christmas, I think uh, it's amazing, but if you don't know much about the purpose of God if you don't know much about the reason why it came, and many of us do, but if you didn't, you just ask why. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You kind of go, great party trick, but why? What's the point of it? Uh, it's, is it like, you know, some people, like I just go to a Christmas, uh, you know, you hear about the Christmas message and it's all about the birth of Jesus and it's just like, that's great, but, you know, like it's, if there was nothing else, it would be like a fireworks display where... You know, you get this explosion of colour and the vibrance in the sky is amazing and then it kind of just turns to nothing and the inspiration's gone and it's just the smoke and the smoke's kind of drifting on the breeze. You know what I mean? Like, what's, what's the relevance for us? I want to bring out three and I know there's more but I just want to highlight three. And that most of us know the most amazing, significant thing and we, and we celebrated it, we remembered it before through communion. We know that Jesus' life, his 33 years, finished at the cross, where he died on the cross. And we know that Jesus was propelled by love into the world. That's why he came here. But Jesus was propelled into the world to restore the broken relationship that existed between God and people. That's why he came. And we know, still today, the relationship for many people is broken. So we know that uh, the amazing thing is that most people believe that there's a God. You could ask a non-Christian person, someone that's not even religious, and ask them, do you believe there's something out there? That there's some being or power or God-like thing out there? And they would say, yeah, I do. Try it on someone. Most people believe there's something out there, but the sin, the brokenness between God and people is that, that people, even though they know it, they just ignore God. They don't give love to God. They don't seek to live a way that pleases God. They just ignore him and go about life as if he didn't exist. And we all, most of us know here that if you ignore an authority, if you ignore an authority over you, that there's a punishment for that. And we know that if you, say, get a parking ticket like no one's got here, of course, um, if you ignore the authority on parking and you park somewhere you're not supposed to, you get a fine. If you ignore God, 
then you're fine if you're like, oh, your penalty is death. And I think that's fitting for ignoring God. And the Bible and God certainly thinks it is as well. So when Jesus culminates his life on the cross, when he dies on the cross, he's basically saying, I'm dying for you. I'm dying for the punishment that you deserve. And because I'm God, my death more than equates for every sin you'll ever commit and every person who'll ever commit all the sin. So this is what I'm doing for you. And he says, if you give your life to me, if you put your trust in me, if you today put your trust in me, that I died for you, then you can have eternal life and right relationship with me starting now and going on for all eternity. That's the most significant, the most amazing thing here. And if you're here tonight and you still haven't done that, or maybe you're a Christian, but you know your faith's not in Jesus, you know you're not living for him, then let me encourage you not to delay, but to ask God to forgive you through what Jesus did on the cross and put your trust in that and live this day for him. I think that's amazing, that's profound. Another thing that we need to just contemplate for us to really get. But the second point I want to share about, about the, the reason or the relevance of, the, of uh, Jesus coming to earth kind of flows from this, and it's been something I've been thinking about. And even in these listening to uh, the communion talk and the worship, I'm thinking about it for myself. And that is find your value and your acceptance in God and the way he views you. So it's a truth that people long for acceptance. People want others to value them and to accept them, to love them without condition. And if we are really honest, we'll find that many things we do, many things we say, we actually, underneath, there's a motivation, there's a heart that says, I want to be valued and I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. So think of fashion. And obviously some of us don't, right? Think of fashion. Now, we might like looking good and cool and nice for ourselves, right? Some of us might do that. Like, gee, I like looking this good. Not me, clearly. Um, But you might. But how much do we love it when someone comes up and they just value you? They just, they accept you. They just think you're really nice, even based on external appearances. So I reckon... We do that. We do that because we want people to accept us. Not always, but sometimes. Well, think about what you say and the things you don't say. So even in this context here tonight, you might find yourself either saying something or not saying it based on wanting someone just to accept you and value you and make you and kind of love you. So it might be, oh, I don't don't want to ask if I can pray for him or or do anything, you know, talk about my Christian faith, because that could be super spiritual and weird. So I just kind of steer clear of that. You know, it comes back to, you know, the value and acceptance. And you might well think about in your workplace, in your family, or wherever, the things you say and don't say, so that people will value you. At work, I can't say anything about Christianity. I can't say anything about Jesus, because someone will think, or I'm weird, or they might not want to talk to me anymore. And just to add to this as well, I reckon the reason that we, we, want it, we want people to love us is that we really obviously value their opinion, don't we? The reason we want someone to 
embrace us and love us and value us is because we just think they're great. We might even um, value their opinion above every other opinion. It might be one person that, values, that, you, that you value the most, whether it be your father or your mother or your children or your brother, your sister, your boss, your boyfriend, girlfriend, someone you aspire to be like. And it's interesting because you can feel accepted or you can feel deeply rejected based on a word they say. Is this true for you? So if they, you can feel on top of the world if they give you some acknowledgement that they like you through a word or whatever. You can feel on top of the world. But then you can feel like if they just ignore you or slam you or whatever, that your world collapses. You've got nothing. And life is like kind of ups and downs as we try and base our value on the people around us. Now, I know we do it. It might not even be a word. It might just be something that you think they think about you. You might even imagine it and then base your value on that. I know I do it. If this is what you value the most, if it's people's view of you and the way that comes via words and and whatever else, if that's where you primarily build up your self-esteem, you're in a very precarious place. You're in a a place that's going to be very erratic. If someone's as kind of um, fickle and unstable as you or me, and that's what we're basing our value on, it doesn't look good. So tonight, people, God is saying to us, find your value, find your deep sense of worth on what I think of you. God is stable. God isn't moving. Seek primarily that. Value what he thinks above everything else. So God loves you. And just for one moment, what, if you're kind of on cloud nine, kind of come back with me for a second. Think for one moment that God, he looks at you tonight and he just loves you. The creator of this place values you so much. He looks at you and he says, I love you. I value you. You're worth so much to me. And if God the creator, God who forms it, who sustains the world, who designed the world, if he values you, if he loves you, you are valued indeed. You are valued despite what anybody says about you. If we can like grow our understanding and our belief of this more and more and more, this is going to give us such peace. It's going to give us such freedom, such joy, because we won't spend our life trying to have other people value us when we already know God does. We won't be locked in chains, people. We won't be locked in the chains of our own desire to earn acceptance, to earn a sense of worth over what people say about us. The more you like, and I think we know it, right? I think we know it. But part of our challenge is like to go, right, if that's the truth, more and more, I've just got to surrender to that truth. I find it hard to believe, but I've just got to, I've just got to give myself over to it. I've just got to kind of go, yes, thank you. More and more, day after day, do that more and more. Do you get the point, kind of?
Find your value in God's love of you. Stop trying to build your confidence on what other people say about you. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying primarily, it's got to be God. It's freeing. So the first two points, they're kind of random points, aren't they? They kind of fit together. Yeah. So God took on flesh is the first one. He took on flesh to heal a broken relationship. That's the biggie. And out of that, we just find, we want to grow more in finding our acceptance and our worth and our value on that. And then finally, another kind of random offset, if you like, do mission like Jesus. That fits, kind of. <laughs> now, there's heaps of things we can learn if we look at Jesus becoming flesh and what that means for our life of mission, right? So we could look at Jesus' life. We could open the Gospels and go, cool, this is what he did. This is what he kind of did with people. And you could see that he had special concern for the poor. Or you could look at Jesus another way and say, gee, he hated injustice, didn't he? I've got to hate injustice. Or how Jesus lived this life of radical love that transcended legalistic religion of his day. How can we learn from that? Or how Jesus invited people into the kingdom forever through faith and repentance in my name. But what I want us to focus on is the coming in, the incarnation of God into the world. And there's one aspect of this that I reckon we can really, it should form our thinking a bit. So up until recently, um, Australia, like lots of other countries, Australia, America, England, you could kind of say quite a number of them, all these Christians with Christian legacies, they've been viewed as Christian countries. So people would attend church because that's what is culturally acceptable. So mission, if you like, in this culture was put a sign up in front of your church with your service times and people will come in. That's mission. Because people drive in the road and go like, gee, I haven't been to church for a while. That starts at 9 o'clock. I'm coming along. That's kind of a mission. It was so acceptable. And I've, I've heard of churches in Melbourne that at the, this day, they might have like three or four families. So they might have a few kids going to the service. But the people look back to this time when the Christian culture was the order of the day. And they look back to when they used to have 300 kids in their churches. And you can look at small churches today that were bustling because of the Christian culture and the expectation that you go to church. People would come because they'd just be attracted. And so a mode of mission is basically, let's just invite people to come. Let's attract them. Let's invite them to church. And then we'll tell them about Jesus. So we've got a, a bit of a model primarily now in the churches that are like that. I'm not dissing it because you've just seen last weekend and how phenomenal that was. So we had people come to our church and that's, that's what happens when you have integrity of relationship with your community and people know of how awesome that is. So I'm certainly not saying it's not a great thing. I'm just saying that we need to add something else to how we do it. Because now you'll be very much aware that Christian, Christianity is a culture in the Australian environment that's kind of getting less and less and less. Less and less people know about the need of faith in Jesus. So what I want to put is basically, if God sends his son into the world, then we are people who must do the same. We must, in a sense, incarnate ourselves into the world around us. We need to move out of our 
comfortable Christian community to actually into the world around us. We need to live lives of mission when we're out there. Now, the obvious reality is that, Phil, I've got to tell you, mate, we actually already are in the world. Like, we go to uni, we go to school, we work, we've got families and that sort of stuff. So we know that. But I think our mindset is that we just invite them here and then someone else can tell them. Or then, um, then I might have the courage to tell them when they get here. Whereas a model of incarnating ourselves will be that we actually are bold enough to live a life of mission in the world. That we change our mindsets. That every relationship is one for loving and to encourage them to have a relationship with God. So invite people to Christian functions. Definitely. Keep doing it. Invite them to church. Invite them to whatever you can. Do that. But also get seriously involved in their world. Get seriously involved in their life. Take Jesus to them. Live lives of love and service and truth-telling in their life. Hang out with them. Join them at parties. Join them at barbecues. Join them at sports or the movies. Build genuine friendships. And in that environment, speak to them. Don't be silent. We just can't stay in our comfortable Christian community and expect that they'll miraculously get saved. Jesus didn't, and he doesn't expect his church to either. Do mission like Jesus. Incarnate ourselves. Now, just a, something to kind of conclude on. I, I don't know about you, but at times I can lack the energy. I can lack the energy, I can lack the inspiration that I need to get up, get off my backside and uh, out of my comfort zone and go and begin a friendship or continue to build a friendship. Now, I'm sure we've all got our series of reasons and excuses that we tell ourselves that prevent us from actually doing this. I wonder what yours is. I wonder what you always default to, you know, when it's like, oh, you know, I can't do it because of this or whatever. I know recently for me, my excuse is I'm tired, very tired. I've been blessed with a beautiful baby girl and a lovely, fast, quick, active son. And it um, caused me a lot more work and it caused me a whole lot less sleep at the same time. So my excuse is I'm tired. I couldn't be bothered. I'm wrecked. That's my excuse. Now, I don't think God looks at me at the moment and says, shame, shame, shame. You want to sleep instead of going and being Jesus in the world. Just like I don't think he looks at you and if you're feeling depressed and tired, I don't think he looks at you and says, shame, get off your backside. I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is, look what I've done for you. He's just saying, contemplate the enormity of me coming into your world. Just think on that. Taking on flesh, taking on your sin on the cross. This is how much you are loved and valued. This is how much I not only love and value you, but people who haven't even heard about me. We need to stop. 
We need to think about the significance. Dwell on it. And I think if we do, we'll be inspired to live more for him. If you're tired, go to sleep. But think on it, because there'll be another time when God says, here's an opportunity. Here's a friend that you have. Here's a kind of almost like a potential friend that you could have. Remember this and just speak into their life. Get to know them. Build a friendship. So does a relationship with God, does your own relationship with God bore you at the moment? Does God not inspire you? Are you taking God for granted? The incarnation is like inspiration for life. If we can see it, we can go, God, this is what you did. You entered into this world to die a death for us that we could have a healed relationship. We could be restored to you. That's amazing. Because of that, this is amazing value for me. This is where my life needs to be founded. The value and acceptance you have of me. To think on that. And then to think, oh God, this is the place where I just need to know so I can go and tell someone about it, that they can have the same relationship and they can know the same value. We need to be people who are just inspired by these people. If you're not tonight then just use that as food to go and spend a good few hours just seeking God out and reflecting on this, this truth. Mm. Do it, please, for your own sake and for God's. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we just uh, come before you and we're kind of blown away and we're kind of <clears throat> a bit like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard it before. Oh, God, I just pray that for every person here tonight, for every one of us, Lord Jesus, that, that you would help us set aside time and just really impress this on our minds, Lord. Oh, Father, we cry out to you and we ask that sincerely, Lord. Where we don't see it as inspiring anymore, Lord, would you just shatter that and come to us afresh? May your spirit just uh, fill us with the understanding of how amazing this is, God. And may we found our lives on you. May we just know our value and acceptance in you. And may we be people who go into the world and take your love to people as you did, Jesus, instead of maybe expecting them to come here and for it to happen here. And Father, we love you and we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much. Pray in your name. Amen.